Well, what's up, Trace? How are we doing this morning? Good, good. Uh, so we've been in this series as a church the last several weeks called Live No Lies, a study of Satan. And the vision behind this series is really quite simple. It's uh, that we as people, we walk around this world uh, believing different things about us, believing different things about others, even different things about God that were never meant to be true in the first place. Uh, not only that, but as followers of Jesus, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, we have a very real enemy and his name is Satan. And he wants to do everything that he can to kill your soul, uh, to steal your joy and destroy your faith. And he does that by doing what he does does best, which is to lie. Uh, that John 8 says this about him, from the very beginning, the devil was a murderer, that he's never obeyed the truth. There is no truth in him, that when he lies, he speaks his natural language. And he does this because he is a liar. He is the father of lies, that we have an enemy and he likes to lie. And so Pastor Aaron, he kicked this series off by talking to us about who the enemy is. And then last week we talked about what the enemy does, but today we wanna to get really, really practical with you guys and talk about how we as people can truly live no lies. Uh, that Peter says this in 1 Peter 5, he says, Satan is, or sorry, he says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil, for he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But then he goes on to say, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. That guys, as people, we don't have to sit idly by and wait to be devoured by our enemy, but instead we have the ability to fight back, that we have the ability to resist the enemy. And while that sounds great and that sounds simple on the outside, what does this actually look like? And so today I wanna just give you uh, five practical steps that you can implement in your life uh, so that you can live no lies. And while there's a lot that I could say uh, about this, I wanted to give you these five things right here. And so uh, the first thing we gotta do is we gotta pursue the truth. Next, we gotta protect your inner circle. Next, it's prepare for our weakest moments. Next, practice ongoing confession and repentance. And then finally, praise God often and celebrate the wins. And so with the rest of our time this morning, we're just gonna go through those five steps, starting with the first one of pursue the truth. And so to do this, I wanna ask you guys this question. Uh, what is something that you believed as a kid only to grow up later to find out it wasn't true? And what I'm not talking about are like the silly little naive things that we believe as little kids. I found out a couple weeks ago, my wife and her little sister used to flush ice cubes down the toilet to get a snow day. I don't know, apparently this is a thing, anybody do this? Yeah, never heard of that. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about are the kinds of things that we've believed our whole lives. And then when we found out what the truth was, uh, you know, it kind of shattered how we view the world. It altered how we view the world. And so for instance, a couple of weeks ago on Easter, I was hanging out over in the kitchen in the offices. And uh, whenever the band got done, the worship team got done playing, they came in and we're all hanging out talking. And while we were talking, I started to realize that I was hungry, that I hadn't had breakfast. And so I went over to the freezer and I pulled out a, a Jimmy Dean breakfast sandwich. And like I'd done a million times before, I walked over to the microwave, opened the door, tossed the thing in, closed the microwave, and was about to nuke the thing when uh, like three or four people, they stood up and they're like, hey, what, stop, what are you doing? And like, I was very confused. So I opened it back up to make sure I hadn't put like a human baby in the microwave uh, because based off the reaction, that was the only conclusion I could come to. But when I saw my very frozen breakfast in the microwave to be warmed up, uh, confusion started to set in. And they began to explain to me, began to explain to me uh, the fact that whenever you cook a Jimmy Dean breakfast sandwich, you're supposed to take it out of the plastic wrapper before 
you cook it. Now, like I said, uh, up until this point, like I have, pro- and this is probably an accurate number, I've probably eaten like a million of these things, okay? Um, each one by microwaving it in the plastic for a minute and 27 seconds. And yes, there's a science to that. Um, and so when they said, hey, you're doing it wrong, I naturally responded with, you're full of it and you don't know what you're talking about, right? And so we got in an argument in there about what the right way to do it was, what the instructions said, whether or not it said to take it out of the wrapper, to which I responded, I'm a man, I don't use directions, right? And, uh, but somebody had thrown the box away and so they said, just go look it up. And so there I was, 27 years old, sitting in the kitchen, Googling how to microwave a Jimmy Dean breakfast sandwich. And it was on that day, April 9th, 2023, And I realized for the very first time that the first instruction is in fact to remove the wrapper, okay? Um, And I tell you that story, yeah, I tell you that story, one, to tell you, I probably have a lot of plastic in my system. Two, to let you know that like people can change and like uh, transformation's real and all those things. Uh, But (laughs) the third reason is because while this is a silly example of what it looks like to believe something that's not true for a very, very long time, Uh, We do this with a lot more serious things often, right? With a lot more at stake that oftentimes we find ourselves believing these lies, uh, believing things about ourselves, believing motives that other people have, or uh, we even assign God characteristics that are fabricated because of like false narratives or false expectations of God. And we believe these things not because we know they're a lie, but because we've neglected to pursue the truth. That most people that believe something that isn't true, like, yeah, sometimes we believe things that aren't true and we know they're not true, but more times than not, we believe something isn't true because we don't know what the truth is. But if we want to be the kind of people that truly live no lies, that uh, we want freedom from these lies, then it starts when we choose to pursue the truth. And this is exactly what Jesus talks about in John chapter eight. He's talking to some religious leaders, but he says this, and you will know the truth. And when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That it is this pursuit of truth that allows us to be free from the lies in our lives. And to be clear this morning, when I talk about truth and pursuing the truth, I'm not just talking about what we believe, but also why we believe these things. That we should definitely believe the right things, but we should also believe them for the right reasons. That, that, and that's gonna take some initiative on our end. That's gonna take some ownership of our own faith. That while, yes, it's a great thing to make coming Sunday morning a priority, eventually it's gotta become more than that. That as a, a church, like one of our goals is to pass the spoon from our hands to yours. That of course, we are always, as a church, Trace is always going to play a major role in your spiritual development, maybe even the primary role. But there comes a time where each and every single one of us, we need to own our own spiritual development, that we need to take the spoon from the church and begin to feed ourselves. And this is exactly what the writer of Hebrews talks about in Hebrews chapter five. And I'll be honest, he uses some really strong language, but he's talking to a very specific group of people here. He says this, there's much more we would like to say about this, but it's difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and you don't seem to listen that you have been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's words. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Uh, For someone who lives on milk as an infant and doesn't know how to tell what is right and what is wrong. That solid food though is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right 
and wrong. And while some of you guys in here, you are new believers, that you, if you are a believer at all, and maybe you're thinking to myself, like, I don't even know uh, where, where to start, but others of us in this room, we would look at that, and while he's writing to a very specific group of people, we would raise our hands and we would say, yes, that, you know, it's high time for many of us to stop waiting for other people to show us the truth about God's word and start pursuing it ourselves, to start feeding ourselves. And perhaps the easiest way to do this is to just dedicate some time to spending God's word every single day. And while this is sometimes confusing and complex, today I just wanted to give you four resources that, that can help you study God's word maybe a little bit more effectively in your life. And so the first one is an app called the YouVersion Bible app. And this is just a digital way to access scripture. It's completely free, but on this, uh, there's different accountability structures. There's different reading plans uh, that you can go through. You can even go through a reading plan with someone else and know when they read it or, or they can know when you read it. Uh, but then also maybe you're wondering, that's great, but I still don't know where to start. Uh, I would encourage you if you're curious or you're, you're brand new to faith, like I would start in scripture somewhere like John, the book of John, somewhere like James, or the book of Romans, that those books do a really good job of summarizing kind of what we believe as Christians, and they're, they're pretty easy uh, to understand. So that would be the first one. The second and third ones, uh, one is called the Enduring Word app, and this is a digital commentary. And what a commentary is, is different scholars or philosophers or uh, people that have studied God's word in depth and done a lot of the hard work for us to, to understand the context and what the author really meant at that time. They do all that work, and then and they commentate on scripture verse by verse. And so uh, my wife uses this one. This was one of her suggestions and recommendations. And so I'd encourage you to use that. Or if you go to this church, uh, we have a resource called Right Now Media that has thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands probably of different studies in God's word to help us understand uh, what, what is being communicated. And so uh, I think we're gonna be sending an email out with that link again for you guys. Uh, so you can get on there and check that out. Uh, but then the last one is a book that I really like. It's called Confronting Christianity. And what I like about this book is oftentimes one of the biggest reasons we don't share our faith is because we think, oh man, what if they ask us a question and we don't know the answer to it? And what I like about this book is what it does is it takes the top 10 biggest questions about Christianity and then it just goes through them systematically. And I'm somebody who needs it really simple. Uh, and this is a really simple book and a really good book as well. And so uh, I would encourage you guys to check these resources out. But if we want to be the kind of people that live no lies, guys, it starts by number one, pursuing the truth. But the second thing we got to do is we got to protect our inner circle, protect our inner circle. That in 1968, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, I practice that phrase a lot, uh, passed the rule that every car that is produced, manufactured, or driven in the United States has to have one rear view mirror on each side of the car and uh, one internal rear view mirror as well. And while this seems like really normal to us today, uh, what most people don't know is this small requirement actually saves over 200 lives every single year. Uh, that this little tiny requirement, it decreased car wrecks by 80 to 90%. Like that's a pretty staggering statistic. And while that's like nothing short of incredible, when you look at the technology that exists inside a rear view mirror, it's pretty simple. It's a piece of glass. Uh, but rear view mirrors do one thing better than anything else, and that is to expose a person's blind spots. And when it comes to our inner circles, that's exactly what our inner circle should do for us, that they should expose 
our blind spots. That Ecclesiastes 4 says this, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. That if one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble. That a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back. They can cover each other's blind spots and conquer. But three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That it was once said, a lone wolf is a dead wolf. That each and every single one of us, guys, we have blind spots. We have areas in our lives that for better or worse affect how we treat people. It affects what we choose to believe. And it also affects uh, how we interact with people for the very first time. Like I can't tell you how many times in my life I've been talking to somebody, somebody something has come out of my mouth uh, to which I thought it was like a two or a three out of 10, uh, only to find out later from my wife or Pastor Aaron or one of my friends that it came out as like an 11 out of 10. And I've had to go back and apologize that, that guys, we all have blind spots, all of us. And sometimes they're not so significant, but other times they are. Like maybe for you, it's spending money on things that let's just be real for a second are absolutely stupid and you need somebody to help you with that. Or or maybe it's a bunch of apps that you have on your phone that are killing your time and wasting your time or making you backslide back into bad habits. Or sometimes it's just the way that you talk to your spouse or the way that you treat your kids, that you need someone else in your life that can see that and call you out on that. That we all need people in our inner circle that call us out and call us up. That you become the sum of your inner circle. That you've heard it said, you know, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Proverbs says it this way. If you walk with the wise, you will become wise. But if you associate with fools, you're going to get in trouble. And that whatever you do, like protect your inner circle at all costs for who they are, who your inner circle is. That is who you are becoming. That your inner circle should be full of people that do these three things. That one, have the same worldview as you. That two, have permission to give you feedback whenever it's necessary. But then three, ultimately help you look more like Jesus. And before I go any further, I wanted to preface and say this, that uh, I've been to the churches before. I've sat in the sermons before where someone like me stands on a stage like this one and basically just tells you to get rid of all your non-Christian friends. And what I'm telling you this morning is like, I don't believe that's true that I don't believe that's biblical, that I don't believe we see Jesus doing that. And I I think you actually should have friends that don't follow Jesus. But if I could speak out of the other side of my mouth for a second, I would also say uh, that when it comes to your inner circle, when it comes to the two or three people that you've allowed to have some of the most influence in your life, guys, if you're a follower of Jesus, I don't think it's wise for you to have somebody who does not follow Jesus sit in that seat. Let me explain what I mean. That if your goal is to look more like Jesus, how can someone who doesn't know him help you do that? Or if your goal is to live in truth and walk in truth and live no lies, how can somebody who's who's never done that for themselves before help you get there? It doesn't mean you shouldn't have relationships with them. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have friendships with them. But at the same time, it is going to be incredibly hard to get where you want to be surrounded by people that do not want the same thing for you. We say this all the time around here, and I say it to our students all the time, that you cannot get to the right place with the wrong friends. It just won't happen. That if we want to be the kind of people that truly live no lies, it starts by pursuing the truth. But the second thing we got to do is we got to protect our inner circle. But then third, we got to prepare for our weakest moments. We got to prepare for our weakest moments. And this was never more clear to us as a nation than on January 28th, 1986. 
And for those of you that don't know that date, that marked a pretty tragic moment in our history as a country when seven members of the NASA uh, astronaut program boarded the Challenger space shuttle. And when they boarded this, they didn't know that whenever the countdown went from 10 all the way down to zero, that these members would only have 76 seconds left to live before the rocket would explode, leaving seven families without their loved ones. And while this was an incredibly tragic moment for them and for our country, what was even more tragic was the reason everything went wrong. That they did an investigation and they found that the culprit of this massive explosion, it wasn't due to the material they used to build the rocket. It wasn't due to a miscalculation in math. It wasn't due to the fuel that they used in the boosters. Actually, what they found responsible actually only made up 0.0045% of the rocket itself, an incredibly small piece of, uh, of the rocket. That, that the O-rings that were used uh, to uh, put around the boosters and seal the boosters, uh, they were rated for 40 degrees Fahrenheit all the way up to 90 degrees Fahrenheit. But it happened on this day in the middle of January, in the middle of Florida, in the middle of winter, it happened to be 36 degrees Fahrenheit. Meaning that this slight four degree difference in temperature, it allowed some gas to seep out of the rocket into the booster and caused this tragic explosion. Four degrees, that's all it took for something to go from miraculous to catastrophic. Like what would have happened? Imagine what would have happened if they hadn't just prepared for what they thought would happen, but instead what could have happened. If only they'd prepared for their worst moment, then seven people would still have their lives and things might look a little bit different. And while it's easy for me to stand up on the stage some 40 years later and uh, cast judgment on them, because I know I do this kind of thing all the time. And I know I'm not alone in that. That many of us, we walk through this life thinking we've got everything under control. Everything is good to go. And then we find ourselves in this moment where our lives are going up in flames and we're unable to comprehend, man, how, how did we get here? That whether it's an addiction that we have to, you know, porn, drugs, or, or alcohol, or maybe it's even an extramarital affair, like nobody wakes up saying, man, you know what I want to do today? Is I want to set out to become an alcoholic. Nobody does that. Nobody wakes up and says, man, it's a great day to go cheat on my spouse. Nobody wakes up and says, man, it's sunny outside. You know what would be great is if we all got addicted to cocaine, right? Like nobody does that. No, living in lies, struggling with addiction, habitual sin, it all happens one compromise at a time. But it really begins and it starts when we as people neglect to prepare for our weakest moments in our lives. And we start believing that, man, I've got everything under control. But we know like that just simply isn't true. Like I know at my core, I am evil. Like I don't make the right decisions all the time. The Jeremiah 17 says this, that the heart is deceitful above all things and it's beyond cure. Who can understand it? That preparing for your weakest moments, it starts with this admission, starts with the recognition of this phrase right here, that even on my best days, I can't be trusted. I cannot be trusted. That my heart my desires, my actions, they don't always line up with what God wants for me. And so rather than waiting for those moments to take place in our lives, why would we not get prepared for them in advance? The Proverbs tells us this is wisdom. And in Proverbs 27, he says, a prudent person, a wise person, they foresee danger and they take precautions. But the simpleton, the foolish person, they go blindly on and they suffer the consequences. 
Guys, we have to stop just suffering the consequences and start preparing for our worst moments. But what does this actually look like? Like, what does it look like for us to prepare for our worst moments? So some of these things I'm gonna list, they're gonna seem pretty radical, but you have to get to a place in your life where you recognize you can't be trusted and all of the other things in your life are worth it to you. So maybe there are things like this, like don't keep alcohol in your house. Don't charge your phone in the same room that you sleep in. Don't bring your phone to the bathroom with you. Don't have nothing planned to do when you know you're gonna be alone all day. Put restrictions on your internet. Put your money in accounts that make it difficult to use. Make it a rule at work, no bad news after four. Like that'll help you keep your anger in check. Don't ride alone in a car with someone of the opposite gender. Don't send that friend request. Don't send that text message. Don't go to those places. Guys, make it weird. Make it awkward. Why? Because at the end of the day, you cannot be trusted. And all of those other areas in your life, they are worth it. That if all it takes is four degrees in your life to cause catastrophe in your marriage, to cause catastrophe in your relationship with your kids, to cause a catastrophe in your ministry, listen, it is worth putting those things in place. That guys, we can't prevent our weakest moments. It's impossible. But we can get prepared for them. And so that's the third thing is we gotta prepare for our weakest moments. So first, pursue the truth. Second, protect your inner circle. Third, prepare for your weakest moment. And then the last one, or the fourth one is this, practice ongoing confession and repentance. And if you've never been around church before, this one's gonna seem a little bit weird, but if you've been around church your whole life, you know that this is probably the hardest step. This is probably the hardest one for us to follow through on. It was once said that to be 99% known is to be completely unknown. That the things in our lives that we decide to keep to ourselves, that small little 1%, they often become uh, the things that are most defining to us. And I think the enemy knows this and he likes to remind us of these things often. He likes to tell us, you know, you are what you do. You are what you've done. You are what has been done to you. And we know that's a lie, but like, guys, I get it. Like I've had things in my life that uh, I'm ashamed of things in my life that I was convinced I was gonna take with me to the grave, things that I hadn't told anyone in my life before, that there was a period in my life uh, where there were things in my life, things hidden in the dark that nobody on this planet knew about me. And this morning, and in the spirit of honesty this morning, uh, I really debated whether or not to put this in the sermon or not, because I know you guys could think different things about me, but I figured, you know, if I'm gonna stand up on the stage and I'm gonna ask you guys to practice ongoing confession and repentance, and I'm not willing to share something that I've already dealt with that happened, you know, years ago in my life, like, that's not fair to you guys. And so I wanted to share it with you that there was a period in my life between high school and college, somewhere around six years, where I was absolutely and utterly addicted to pornography. And I kept that a secret from everyone. And over that time, you know, those things that I thought I had control of, they started to take control of my life. They, you know, the shame, it was unbearable. The guilt was unimaginable. That I was constantly looking over my shoulder, wondering, when am I going to get caught? When is somebody going to see who I really am? But the truth was like, I was probably smart enough. I was probably clever enough. I know I was deceptive enough that no one was ever going to find out about these things. And it wasn't until I sat in one of my college classes, it was called Principles of Family Living, and it had nothing to do with what the professor was talking about, but I started thinking, man, what would happen? What would happen if I kept this a secret for the next 15 years of my life? And then all of a sudden it just came out. 
that, that I didn't tell anybody, but instead, you know, I got, I got caught. What would happen? And in that moment, God gave me a level of clarity that I don't think I've ever had in my life since. That I saw my life and who I was becoming. And I thought to myself, you know, I, that is not who I want to be. Like, guys, that's not the husband I want to be. That's not the father I want to be. That's not the pastor I want to be. That's definitely not the man uh, that I want to be. That this one little secret, it was going to ruin my life. It, it was going to ruin my faith. It was going to ruin my family. It was going to ostracize all my friendships. And I was disgusted by it. And I wanted nothing more to do with it. And so rather than waiting until the class ended, I had 30 seconds of courage and I sent my mom a text message and I said, hey, I'm gonna call you in 30 minutes and I need, to make sure, I need you to make sure that you answer and I need you to make sure that I'm, I actually call you. And then class ended and I went and got my truck and I drove to a really sketchy parking lot out in the middle of nowhere and I called my mom and I called my dad and through a lot of tears, I began to confess and I began to repent and I began to tell my parents everything that I was doing behind their backs. And guys, I'll be honest, like that conversation sucked. Like that was not a fun conversation. It's probably one of the hardest that I've had in my life. But it's also one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. That that 1% that I kept to myself, it was silently killing me on the inside. But guys, when I chose to confess, when I chose to repent, when I chose to be 100% fully known by somebody else. Guys, God did things in my life that I know he never could have done otherwise, never would have done otherwise. And I started to experience joy again. I started to experience relationships again. I stopped pushing people away. I started to understand what grace truly meant, maybe for the first time in my life, that Jesus didn't just die for everybody, that Jesus went to a cross for me, that I am a sinner in desperate need of God's grace, but he offers that to me freely. That I started to understand that man, confession and repentance has to be this ongoing habit in my life. That I'd love to stand up on the stage and tell you that that sin that one time uh, was the only period in my life where I've ever needed to confess and repent. But like, that's just not true that it hasn't just been with the big things, it's also been with the little things as well, like the moments of greed, the moments of jealousy, the moments of envy, the times that I've compared myself to other people on social media, I gotta get that crap out of my life. Because guys, I know the more I try to hide things, the less likely I am to heal from them. James 5 says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other often so that you may be healed from your sin that the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. My counselor, he used to say it this way, confess to God and you'll find forgiveness. But confess to others and you'll find healing from your sin. Guys, I am a testament to that. That around here we say it this way, that you can't hide and heal at the same time. That the only way, listen, the only way you're gonna move past your secrets the only way you're gonna move past your addiction is when you quit trying to do it by yourself. And you instead, you tell someone else that if you want to stop living the lie of your life, and guys, we got to practice ongoing confession and repentance. We have to get the garbage out of our lives. And so first, guys, we gotta pursue the truth. Second, we gotta protect our inner circle. Third, we gotta prepare for our weakest moment. Then fourth, we gotta practice ongoing confession and repentance. But fifth, this is the last one. This is the most fun one. Let's praise God often and celebrate our wins. 
At Philippians 4, 6, it says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him. Thank him for all that he's done. Like, I don't know about you, but this is a verse I'm not very, very good at. That I tend to worry about everything. I sometimes uh, ask God for some things and then I forget to thank him for anything, right? That I'm quick to forget what God's doing in my life. I'm quick to forget what God has done in my life. And like, listen, I'm a pastor. Like, I know these verses, I've read all the scientific studies that say, hey, if you have a spirit of gratitude, like you're gonna have a happier, healthier, longer life. Like I know those things, but like I still come back to this over and over. I am not very good at thanking God for what he's doing, but I also know most of us are like the rest of us. And we're not very good at this. We're not very good at recognizing what God is doing in our lives. We're not very good at celebrating, are we? But it didn't always used to be like that. Like for instance, for those of you in this room that have had kids before, or maybe you got nieces or nephews, like whenever a little baby comes into this world, we celebrate everything. Like whenever they get their first haircut, like we cut it off and we put it in a little plastic baggie and we're like, we're gonna give this to them on their wedding day. Or like whenever we see them laugh or smile for the first time, we cheer. Or they mutter like some incoherent gibberish and we're like, did you guys, you guys hear that? They just said my name. And it's like, your name's like seven syllables long. Like there's no way, they sneezed, okay? Like relax. Or whenever they conquer gravity for the first time, we see a baby that, you know, takes one step, two steps, and then face plants. And we, we're calling everybody like they're walking, they're moving, they're mobile, right? And it's like, not yet. Or whenever the baby turns one year old, right? We gather everybody around, we blow up the balloons, we buy a bunch of gifts, we get a cake and we put it in front of that kid and they just tear into it because they've survived an entire year, right? And on a side note, like I wanna make uh, a kid's one-year-old birthday, I wanna make a tradition where when the kid turns one, like we buy a bunch of gifts and we throw a party for the parents because they're the ones who have survived that year and done all the work, right? But guys, we celebrate everything for these little guys. And while I don't think that should stop, somewhere along the way, it does. Like somewhere between a kid graduating high school, uh, getting married, you know, and eventually their funeral, we stop throwing parties for people progressing as being better human beings. And I think the enemy, he sees that. And I think he takes advantage of those moments. And C.S. Lewis, he writes about this in his book called The Screwtape Letters. He says this, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. It's the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without thanking God, without celebrating, without signposts. And guys, I've learned in my life when the parties stop, often so does our progress. That somewhere along the way, we stopped celebrating. But we as people, guys, we need the signposts in our life. We need the celebrations. We need the milestones. Like, why is it that the only time we talk about our issues is whenever we failed? Guys, I'm not okay with that. And I hope you're not either that I wanna change that. That guys, I love being a part of a church like Trace that celebrates whenever life change is happening. Like when a guy hits 10 years of sobriety, we should throw a party, right? That whenever a marriage that is on the brink of divorce instead turns things around and there's restoration and reconciliation, we should pop the confetti. That we should have to pay the janitors extra to clean up this room because of how often we celebrate. That guys, we should be the kind of people that every time somebody sticks their head under that water and gets baptized and gives their life to Jesus, this room should explode. 
that I hope people in this church, they need earplugs for how loud we celebrate here. That guys, I wanna be a part of the kind of church that everybody walks out of here with sore shoulders because we've had our arms raised for too long. That I wanna be a part of the church, kind of church where people have calloused hands because we've been clapping too loud about what God is doing here. That every time a son, every time a daughter, every time a grandchild sets foot in this church and we see God radically changing their lives, we should have bruises on our knees because of how often we're on them thanking him. Guys, I wanna be a part of a church that every single week, people are excited to be here, that they're grabbing everybody that they know because every single week in this room, we are snatching lives away from Satan. Like I hope God needs a building project in heaven because of this church. And I hope you wanna be a part of a church like that because I definitely do. That I wanna see people in this church, this church is filled with people that are pursuing after the truth. They're not waiting to be taught, but they're teaching themselves that I wanna see the kind of church filled with people that have deep relationships with inner circles that are being called out and called up. Churches full of people that uh, you know, aren't just prepared for their strongest moments, but their weakest moments. And a church full of people that are taking the trash out every single day by practicing ongoing ethics of confession and repentance. But Trace, let us be the kind of church that never tire of celebrating what God is doing here. Because listen, that's the kind of church that'll change a city. Like that's the kind of church that'll get Colorado Springs to heaven. That's the kind of church that really will live no lies. And that's the kind of church that I wanna be a part of. And I hope you do as well. And so rather than just talking about this this morning, we're actually gonna do this that we're gonna transition into a time of response. And while if you've been coming here often, this is often a pretty reverent moment where we stop and we're pretty quiet and contemplative. But today I wanna celebrate. I wanna celebrate what God is doing in this place. And so there's a couple different ways you can respond that whenever you come and you grab communion from any of these tables, you grab that cracker and that juice and you thank God for what he's done for you that you are grateful and you celebrate the fact that he sent his son to die for you. Or maybe you came in this room and you've got a lot on your shoulders and uh, you've got some baggage that you need to take out. And so that's you. We have uh, this button on the app in the bottom right corner that says need prayer. And you can even submit those things anonymously so that we as a staff can be praying for and with you for the things that you're dealing with in your life. But then also for many of you, you have been living a lie that you don't know Jesus. Maybe today you wanna see what it looks like to place your faith and your trust in a man named Jesus that loves you more than you could ever imagine. Guys, that's the best decision you could ever make. And so on the side of the stage, we have these white towels that you can come and grab and take them to the next steps booth. And guys, I hope this room erupts whenever somebody makes a decision like that. That we're gonna have some baptisms here in just a moment. And guys, I hope this room goes crazy and celebrates what God is doing here. And so I wanna, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go ahead and celebrate. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church. Thank you for a place that we can come and we can re- be reminded of who you are and what you've done for us, God. Help us to be the kind of people that never stop thanking you. God, we wanna change this city. We wanna see this city come to know you. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.